0: You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends.
1: Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I am so glad that you are here. I'm here with three-fifths of the crowd of dudes. Uh, A couple guys couldn't make it today, but I'm Frank Gill. I'm up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Over in Baltimore, Maryland, we have... Jeffrey Simpson. It's too hot. It's too hot. And then down uh, alone in the morning after Ministry Studios, I see Puppet Jesus behind him. Andrew Larson.
2: You're never alone if you've got Puppet Jesus over your shoulder. That's yeah, what dude, I will that. say.
1: Can you explain what Puppet Jesus is? Because that sounds a little like blasphemous without context.
2: He's quite literally a Jesus puppet because <laughs> our church, oh, that's better. Our church <laughs> bought this building from a... Uh, from a Methodist church that had taken it over from a dead Methodist church. And so when our church bought this building 2013, but when I got here in 2017, it had just been chaos. There were still closets that hadn't been gone through in the four years that our church had owned the building. Is that a and Methodist in, joke? That's not no, nice. it's just in one of those closets was all their puppets from a puppet team ministry including a Jesus. And so I uh, I grabbed the Jesus puppet and I put a morning after ministry show t-shirt on him and uh, he sits over my shoulder. Also, there's another puppet that had a baseball cap on. He was like a little Timmy puppet or something. And um, a few months ago, it was hat day in preschool over at Safety Harbor Elementary School. And my wife texted me saying, you didn't bring a hat for Lewis. He's so upset that all the other kids in his class have a hat on and he doesn't. And so I grabbed an Ohio State hat that I have sitting in my office and the hat off of the puppet, and I brought them over to the school because my wife teaches there, and I'm a level two volunteer, so I'm allowed to just walk into whatever classroom. Level and two. so it's, it's a thing. It, wow. It's pretty dope. So I was like, Lewis, which hat do you want? And he chose the puppet hat. It's his favorite hat. He wears it all the time. I'm like, someday he's going to realize that he is wearing a hat designed for a puppet but right now, like he wore it all over Arkansas the past couple weeks. Hey, dude, if it, fits, it. it fits.
0: It fits. Yeah. It have fits. It fits. It has a little guys, elastic
2: strap he, in the back. If it fits, you guys, he doesn't have to acquit. It's
0: great. Okay, go ahead. That, have I told you that, guys my, my puppet ministry story? Go I, to I feel like it. I might have. It. Okay, so at the church I grew up at in Newport Richie, shout out Beacon Community Church, uh, one day I went to one of the older gentlemen there who was like, you know, that like adopted grandfather figure you have in the church when you're... When you grow up there and um, I was cleaning out a couple closets and I saw this giant crate on wheels and we called it big blue because it was a big, giant blue crate. Like I'm talking probably six feet long by like four feet tall by like a foot wide. And it had like the edges and the corners, you know, and it was all spray painted blue. It was pretty cool. And it just opened the top was a big, you know, there was a lid on top and it was just a big cavernous crate. And at the time I was in like the youth band. And so we were looking for places to store our stuff. And we were like, Oh cool. Like it's like a road case. So I open it up one day. It's like up in a, up in a closet, up in the youth room, never been up in that closet before, never seen the stuff in there. I'm cleaning it out one day when I was like interning and uh, it's full of puppets. Mm. And I've been at this church for 10 years at this point, never seen the puppets. Mm. So I go to uh, the pastor and he's like, go ask, you know, Jim, who's the older guy. I ask him, and he says, ah, if, "If you've never seen it, how long you been here? If you've never seen it used, you can just go ahead and throw those puppets out. You can keep the case; it's fine." So I go ahead and do that, and like I, I kid you not, like one week later, one of the old <laughs> ladies in the church goes up in that closet looking for the puppet ministry and comes mm-hmm. and asks me, and I had to tell her, "Oh, I threw them in the dumpster, and they came and got the dumpster, and they're they're gone now." And uh, she was devastated. So, so that's my puppet ministry story. So if you find. Well, if you – the main point I'm trying to make here is if you want to throw old things away in an old church building, make sure you get verbal permission from one of the older folks so that you can't be held liable. That's the main thing. So
2: that's the good thing about ours. They were not our puppets. They were inherited puppets. Right. So that, that's a little bit better. But I was a part of a puppet ministry growing up at Berea Baptist Church. We would uh, – when I was in middle school, it was one of the first ministries I was ever a part of was the the puppet ministry. Nice. and. They wouldn't trust you with the puppets until you knew what you were doing. So you'd put a bunch of rubber bands on your hand so that you could work that muscle between your thumb and the hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's puppet conditioning. Yeah,
1: it's hard. Is this
0: like
2: let them be tested think,
1: first? <laughs> and then they yeah. can be deacons? Don't put a novice behind a curtain. That's right. Yeah. You know,
2: because when you think of puppets, you, you're you moving your hand up and down, but really, it's, you, you're moving your thumb and you're keeping your forefingers still. <laughs> and it's Dude, a different motion I wonder if motion than you would, would expect. be really good at puppets. I wonder if they would, but Dexterity. I, I just remember doing Patch the Pirate. If you're not a real fundy, you don't know what I'm talking about. No idea. But doing Patch the Pirate, uh, not sad episodes uh, with puppets in junior church when I was in like sixth and seventh grade, and Patch then I was the like, Do you know what? Why don't I learn how to be on the sound team instead? Because there's <laughs> nothing easy. There's nothing easier than being the sound guy at an indie fundy Baptist church. And listen,
0: now as a small church pastor. Which one are you happier about? That you have puppet skills or that you know how to run a soundboard?
2: That I can run soundboard. Soundboard.
0: See? Puppet
1: ministry and clown ministry are two of the both weirdest and also most intense ministries people can be can get behind. I mean, I'm not if you if you're listening to this or like I was a part of a clown ministry, (laughs) God bless you. I
2: still know balloon animals.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I know I've known people who are like super into puppet ministry and clown ministry, and like now that I'm a pastor. And like doing this, I'm just like, I'm no one's no one, at least in my church, maybe maybe us hip non denominational multi site churches kind of weaned those out. But like I uh it's 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 odd to me, but also the people who are into it are super passionate about it. I, I, I'm i sure we all have this conversation. Uh Jeff at Trinity we had a ministry. You weren't I don't think you were a part of it, but you know there was a ministry called Imitators at Trinity oh, that yes, kind of I was did not this. a part of it. And um, But there were other – but, like, growing up, like, I think every youth group dabbled in this type of, like, live music video ministry where no one talked. They just, like, I guess, in lack of better words, mimed um, songs, like the Lifehouse song or my favorite was – I think the, we
0: called it live music video.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, yeah.
0: basically what it was.
1: And there was a, there was a song, um, Third Day Thief. And in my youth group, like we would do that for like Good Friday. And it's like it's not the good thing. Dude, that song went oh, so hard. Like that song was so good. I love did. that song. And like I remember uh uh we did that on Imitators, but we also did that in my youth group. And I remember being like, um, oh man, I just want I wanna be Jesus. Like I wanna be the one in the middle that looks at the thief and say, I forgive you or whatever. And the thing is, it's like I'm in an all-white youth group, and I'm the only person that's brown. And I'm always the bad thief. I'm the I'm the thief that like doesn't get <laughs> forgiven. And I'm like, bro, like I'm the only one that's like closest to the same complexion of Jesus, and I get to be the bad thief, like not even the good thief in this conversation. I don't know. And and also like uh in that Lifehouse skit song, I was never like the the guy. I was never Jesus that rescued the girl from whatever addiction i was like the drug addict i was like want want some weed <laughs> those are such fun like, it's kind of cringy as an adult thing back to it but like those are fun oh, i mean it was
0: cringy those... back then bro <laughs>
2: <laughs> every now and then i'm reminded that i'm just a few years older than you guys <laughs> because you know by the grace of god i i our youth group didn't do that also my youth pastor you know how there's that that one class you have as a youth pastor that you're like I'm not leaving until this class graduates. That class was two years ahead of me. So by the time I was like the junior and senior youth group, my youth pastor had checked out. He was just waiting for that senior pastor oh, gig no. to pop up. <laughs> <laughs> so like when I was a sophomore, we did all the cool things. And by the time I was a senior, it was like, nah, we're, we're good now. Oh, so I'm, I'm kind of grateful <laughs> hearing about your thief experience that I, uh, <laughs> we, we we did not try that as an outreach Avenue. Well,
1: Hey, uh, talking about experiences, that's a good segue. Uh, The Practically Pastoring Conference is happening in February 20th to the 22nd in uh, Tarpon Springs, Florida. It's at uh, Tim's Church again, and we have folks signed up. Uh, Bro, I'm so, so excited. It's going to be a good time. Jeff, uh, tell me what you are excited about when it comes to the Practically Pastoring Conference.
0: Balloon Animals with Andrew.
2: I was like, pup, puppet shows, balloon animals. That lo-
0: that's a locked-in, late-night option. <laughs> Stand-up balloon animals with <laughs> Andrew Larson. Dude, <laughs> so I know. I know Tim tried to do the cool shark fishing last year, and that was cool no, and no, all. No, no, Completely bombed. Um, guys,
2: <laughs> I, what I know you, is if I, animals, yeah, <laughs> if I go to balloon
0: animals, yeah, if I go to balloon animals, <laughs> and Andrew, I'm actually going to see a balloon shark. It's going to be amazing.
2: But here's the thing. That came in so handy when I was working at Denny's on Kids Eat Free Night.
0: Dude. You
2: know, you 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 put that pump in your apron. and Yeah, oh, did you leave that? the little
0: ends of the balloons, like, hanging out your apron just a little bit? <laughs> so you can yeah, see, you, like,
2: I want the yellow one. You see that dad that you know has that, you know, he has every other weekend and then dinner every Tuesday night. And he's yeah. bringing the kids into Denny's for Kids got Eat Got a couple
0: of 20s floating in his
1: wallet. Oh,
2: let me tell you. You could make bank off of that, Dad, by making a couple oh of God. dogs or a giraffe. The, the
1: confidence of a balloon the- animal sculptor is so awesome because the, the guy's like, <laughs> and he hands it to you, and he's like so proud of it. He's like, "Yeah, you love this dog, don't you?" And it's like,
0: I want that confidence. It's like I want- the most alpha beta guy <laughs> yeah. ever.
2: it's
1: sigma that's a sigma man he doesn't care about either one That's right right. all right jeff besides balloon sculpting with andrew as a breakout what Uh, else are you stoked about Well, just
0: hanging out and like uh for me the best the best stuff was the um the conversations i had about finances with a couple of the guys that were there that were just kind of you know not during a necessarily an official session but they were springboarded off of stuff we talked about in one of the sessions so i really like that and i really like to kind of Uh, the stuff we did where we'd sit around the table and kind of do best practices and just share back and forth with one another. That stuff was great. So that's really what I'm looking forward to.
1: Love it. Love it. Well, yep. And we want you there. So if you, if you're listening to this, you went last year, we want you back. If you're brand new and you've never been to the conference, listen for the fact alone that it's Florida in February is a reason to go by itself because chances Mm. are where you live, unless you live in Florida, uh, February probably sucks, but it doesn't suck in Florida. It also doesn't suck to be around us and talking about ministry and laughing and, and you know, like the name says, we get really, really practical, but we also have a really, really good time. So we hope that you can come, uh, go to practicallypastoringconference.com and uh, and sign up. Hey, we have a really cool conversation with Chris Cootie, who is a worship pastor at a, a church down in Texas. but Before uh, we talk about this, I want to talk about something that was kind of in the news recently. Um, there's a relevant magazine article that talks about this, but it mostly comes from this video that I think was it the Daily Wire that put out the video. I'm not sure, but it's from Jordan Peterson. And, uh, he, you know, he's a as relevant puts it. The professor turned pop psychologist turned political pundit slash lifestyle gr- lifestyle guru. It's a little biased in that definition. I wish my resume was that
2: cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sharp
1: dressed he, man. He does. He's like he's a sharp dressed man. Um, oh, he's, he's got very serious opinions about where I go. Yeah. So he came out with a video and it says a message to the Christian churches. Well, hold
0: and- on, hold on, pause, pause, pause. Speaking of sharp dress, Andrew, where is your tie?
2: <gasps> oh. Tim, Tim and I weren't doing a show today. The, you know, so the the story is. When Tim We're and I first started, do, <laughs> I when, Tim, when Tim and I first started doing ministry things <laughs> together, he had the white guy dreads. He just looked like a burnout. It was great. It's true. Um, and so, by comparison, I, I I was the point Dexter. He was he was the burnout. And so, when Tim decided <laughs> to get a grown up, when he decided to get a grown up haircut, I had to distinguish myself from him a little bit. And so, uh, the the ties just kind of became a thing. So I it's a character I play on TV. It's not really, <laughs> a, I, I do wear a tie maybe two, two days a week, but wow. I'm coming off vacation mode, man. My, yeah. I, I got out of bed at 10 15 this morning and I was the first person up in my house. Amazing. Cause we, we got off a of plane at midnight Friday nights and then went right into it Saturday and Sunday for church. And I was just tired. I wasn't going to put on a, a tie. Well, plus, uh, some... plus you two are the only one who can see this. If That's we true. were doing this, sh- if this was a video podcast, he actually has a tie on, Guys, I'd be wearing a tie, but well, with no pants.
1: Speaking of someone who is wearing a tie, uh, Jordan Peterson has this ten-minute video um, where he gives a message to the Christian Church, and he basically diagnoses a problem in our society, specifically revolving around young men, and that the Christian Church needs to be kind of like a safe haven for young men. To flourish, in. and so th- th- I would say the main kind of cre- thing he wants the Christian church to hear is this: He says the Christian church is there. Now, let me rephrase it: The Christian church is there to remind people, young men included, and perhaps even first and foremost, that they have a woman to find, a garden to walk in, a family to nurture, an ark to build, a land to conquer, a ladder to heaven to build, and the utter terrible catastrophe of life to face stalwarty to in truth devoted to love and without fear.
2: And Did so, he not leave Genesis in any of that? I guess like a land to conquer might be Joshua, but I mean, really, he is. Is he talking about the Christian Church, or is he talking about the first third of the Old Testament?
1: <laughs> I mean, essentially, he's saying that we live in a society where where men are essentially inept. And it's, it's it's the culture's fault. Like the culture has somewhat neutered men from allowing them to be masculine, and 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 masculinity in general is is in a, a bit of a uh, not transition, but it's the, it's in dire straits right now. And so he even says, like, you in the video, you should put up a sign at the front of your church that says, "Young men are welcome. Young men are safe here." And and so the big focus is for the church to. To raise up young men to be real men in his eyes, and as as Ralph it says, it's kind of like an essay long version of the of him saying, "Do better." The church needs to do better at, at helping men be real men. And so uh, I'm kind of conflicted in this. And the where I'm conflicted is, I don't think he's wrong. Well, there's two things where I'm conflicted. One, I I always get weary when non Christians because Jonah Pearson has openly said he's not a Christian, when non-Christians make statements about what the church should and shouldn't do. That's my first time I'm a little um, uneasy. The second thing I'm uneasy about is I actually don't think he's wrong. I think he's right in his assessment of of where men and masculinity is in their culture. And I absolutely do believe that like kind of culture has somewhat neutered men from allowing them to be men. But I don't like the fact that the entire framework of what he 's talking about for the church to do is uh devoid of Jesus does that make sense and it and to me it kind of like it, there there's all a there's already a lot of churches that are doing that it's It has a mission and a message devoid of Jesus that is supposed to empower people and make people quote unquote better people and it just looks different depending on what kind of flavor of evangelicalism you 're in but i don't know it just kind of um it rubbed me the wrong way, but I don't mind the message. I just wish it was nuanced and with a Christian voice behind it. What are your thoughts about it? I know not everyone has been able to get just to watch the whole video, but this article is pretty helpful. What do you guys think?
0: Well, it's interesting that he opens with, it's of course completely presumptuous of me to dare to write and broadcast a video entitled yep. – Message to the church, which it is. (laughs) It is very presumptuous of him. What's interesting is that quote that young men are, you know, they have a woman to find, a garden to walk in, a family to nurture, ark to build, land to conquer, ladder to heaven to build. That one is the most anti gospel. For sure. And the utter terrible catastrophe of life, all that stuff. That honestly is more like classical Western civilization than it is the Christian church. Now, of course, there's a lot of overlap, and I don't think you get classical western civilization without the history of the christian church influencing it but that's not what the church is here to do like we're not here to help people do any of that stuff we're here to help people find jesus and submit to him as lord and then all that other stuff will take care of itself and i do still think it's a thin this whole thing of like you know we need men to be men and all that Like a lot of this is covered in that book, Jesus and John Wayne, I think. But it's kind of a thinned out version of masculinity. And I'm all for masculinity. You know, I'm I'm all for men being men and women being women. But I just think there is a much more broad, nuanced, you know, biblical idea than just, you know, what kind of we want to sort of, quote unquote, get back to as if there's some golden era that we're going back to when everything was great. And that's, to me, that's kind of, from reading the article about the video that I haven't watched yet, um, that's kind of where my critique would be.
2: I think so many people assume that the the church is here to provide social programs. Mm -hmm. And if the church is the local community center, then he is 100% absolutely right. Right. But if the church is here to do more than just provide programming for the community, then he's missing the point. But again... This is someone who, by his own confession, is an unregenerate non—I don't know if, if non-believer is is quite accurate enough, but this is not someone who's claiming to follow Jesus. So on the surface, if you look out at your community and you see one church is always you know, providing services to the community and encouraging good things out of people in your area, and another church is kind of sitting by and doing nothing, well— which church would you have a better feeling about? This is why we do Vacation Bible School. This is why, you know, Jeff, you guys do your cornhole league. You, you do things so that you can be a part of the community, and hopefully, because you're a part of the community, get some legitimacy within the community to be able to reach them. But if, if you think that the legitimacy is the end goal, then you're missing out on something. So again, I, I think the consensus is I don't disagree with what he's saying, you know about masculinity, but he clearly doesn't understand the Great Commission and the the point of the church. Mm. Nor should he.
1: Yeah, I'm. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, people becoming medical experts when it came, when COVID came around, and everyone's like, "This is what we ought to do with masks or whatever." And it's like, I feel like I'm, I'm speaking out of my my. Uh, I'm kicking. I'm kicking past my coverage here because like I don't really know what I'm talking about about mass or not wearing masks. I'm just I'm just I'm just trying not to get sick you know what I'm saying and yeah. and I and I feel like to some degree like all the stuff he's saying in terms of masculinity I don't think is necessarily wrong I do agree with you that like it's like he heard the he heard a someone talk about Jacob's ladder and thought that we should be building that or something I don't know what he got from that but but I but like like There's also tons of people outside the church trying to fight for this version of masculinity that he's arguing for. And I think he just knows that in conservative circles, the evangelical church is like the biggest, Like the, the Venn diagram of conservative movements in the evangelical churches is pretty big. And so therefore he's trying to kind of convince the church to be more vocal on his, you know, Desire and stuff like that i i, I guess let I me mean, let me choose the question of this is he's trying to tap uh, into his audience yeah I, if, for if sure. you look at, the, you mean, look at the
2: comments on this article clearly he's struck a nerve with a very the, particular audience
0: and i and I'm, i read marcus aurelius but this is a overlap of stoicism I, I i see this as an overlap of like classical stoicism and what people view as christianity and the two the two are not the same are there some things that are that can overlap, yes, but the two of them are not the same thing. So, uh, to me, that's what I see. He he, almost views the Old Testament stories as stoic lessons to to take. So, Jacob's ladder is a is a story about you know, uh, you know, building and doing something great and all that. And instead of seeing it as you know what it is, which is a, a you know a, a, an account of somebody's encounter with God.
1: So, what is a practical way in our churches? that we can help um, help young men to be men? You know what I'm saying? Like how can we help, how in our churches practically can we help, you know, actually Jordan's issue is not a, a wrong issue, but I think like his, his conclusions might be a little bit off here, but how can we practically as a church help men be men?
0: Bring back the puppet ministries, obviously.
1: (laughs) Puppet ministry to masculinity is a straight line and it's beautiful. And yeah, no.
0: I mean, in my context, I think in a smaller, in a smaller church, I I would say this is true anywhere, but I, I think it's for me personally, it's about me continuing to have encounters with Jesus in my daily spiritual formation and then inviting particularly young men to come and walk with me in that. And it's not something I've always done great or am even doing great, but it's, to me that's the the answer to this is to is to continually help people encounter Jesus and who he is and what what does that outworking look like for us particularly as men in our day and age
2: i think the the mentorship piece that jeff mentioned is, is so key um the the issue with masculinity comes down to well you've got 40% of children in the united states growing up without male influences. And because, because of that, the other 60% are told, well, you can't flex on this or, or, you know, you need to act like this is the norm. And because this is the norm, even those who are growing up with the positive male influences in the home, um, are not supposed to live or act like it. So the mentorship within the church is huge, but then practically, I think just giving away responsibility and the puppet ministry is always going to be a great joke, but Hey, um, here is something that cannot happen on Sunday mornings unless you're here, whether it be soundboard, you know, if you live in a place that needs snow shoveled, whatever it may be, you need young men to know that the church is not just an option and it's not just something that they can show up to if they feel like it, but it's something that needs them to be actively engaged in because it cannot and will not happen as it should if they're not there. Because if you treat church like a spectator sport, well, why would you want to get up in the morning? Like there's there's a lot of fun things to do on Saturday night, but if you treat church as a, this is a community that you're a part of that will not function the same if you are not there, then young men are way more likely to come. You have to trust them. You have to trust them with responsibility. You have to trust them with their gifts. And when you do that, you're more likely to get engagement out of them.
0: And I think in that trust is allowing them allowing when they fail to just to just live with it. And like, I I mean, that was a huge piece of my discipleship. I I remember back to my pastor when I was a teenager, Um, my youth pastor as well, but mainly my the senior pastor of the church, I'm still friends with. He trusted me with things. And sometimes I didn't do them and he didn't fix it for me. He just he just let it happen. And I know now looking back, there was a lot of Sundays when there were things that were supposed to happen that didn't happen because I didn't make them happen. And he didn't bail me out, but he also, you know, it, it was never, it, it was always handled with grace, but it was always, the responsibility was always just, just given to me. And I think that's a really important piece. If you continually bail people out, particularly young men, well, I mean, we're prone to laziness. You know, that's just, that's just our sinfulness. So I, I think to me, the answer to, you know, young men in the church is the same answer has been for centuries. It's discipleship and it's mentorship with other men in the church
1: i i i uh i i read a couple books recently um that proposes this idea of like an intentional male discipleship group um and it's and and one thing like uh one thing that's important is like I think all of us know that like sometimes in men's groups it's either like insanely shallow and it's just like maybe like maybe they'll do like deep bible study but like it's it, it's never very personal. Or when it does get personal, I think I sent this meme to you guys um, from, like, uh, (laughs) Ant-Man, where it's like, um, yep, my girlfriend broke up with me, and uh, I lost my job. Like, it's, like, it's very, like, very deep, but there's no um, follow-through, and it's just like, oh, that sucks, and we move on, right? And it's like, can we create environments where men can, like confess sin and feel safe in that confession and understand that there's strength and weakness and, and things like that, where if they're confessing porn addiction or actual issues as as being a father and things like that, where they can be challenged and have this type of safe community, it has to be a little bit more intentional than even just saying, hey, sign up for a men's Bible study, but like be a part of an intentional group where we are going to challenge and encourage one another. I think Jeff is right. It's like the, the issue is discipleship. Um, not necessarily putting a sign that says young men welcome like that sounds <laughs> i don't know what that what kind of signal that's going to give to people but like uh yeah that's that, kind of creepy yeah, yeah it's super duper creepy but uh but what might be the sign is having intentional groups that are meaningful uh groups for for those young men and things like that but hey um uh this is great again jordan peterson i think he's a he's a smart guy and i like him i think he's on the right track i i, uh, he's no dummy. I
2: we need to I, lead him to jesus
1: I do think that, like, and I think, I think, man, I think uh, people are trying to soften his heart. And I think, actually, let me rephrase that. I think the Holy Spirit is softening his heart, and I and I hope that uh, I hope he comes to knowledge of Christ. Because imagine, imagine that kind of wisdom that he has. What would happen if he if he had the Holy Spirit living inside? It would be pretty incredible. Um, do you remember
2: the story of this guy named Saul? Just never saying heard of him,
1: never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He's a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good thing. The guy that
1: tried to kill David, right? No, I'll give him no. All right, Cool.
2: Su- super conservative. Eventually, came to Jesus. Worked out pretty well.
1: That's <laughs> kind of true. All right, um, hey, so we have a great interview. Like, um, uh, Jeff, you know, before he became this amazing senior pastor, he was in Fantastic. worship ministry. Yeah, he's
0: so fantastic. Fantastic. He,
1: he was in worship ministry. Andrew, you have you have musical you have some musical skills, right? Do you play something? No. I, oh, I, I thought maybe you it. like. I, uh, I can play the
2: hand farts. You know this one? Oh, don't do that. Stop that. Okay. Wow. This is this is <laughs> that, the no, I, I, have, <laughs> I I sang in the high school choir, sure. and that is the extent of my musical background.
1: Tim and I both play drums. Um, Delp, I think plays guitar. So all of us have like experience in the worship realm. But uh but me and Jeff have this buddy, his name is Chris Cootie. Uh and uh he was I I introduced him in 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 this in the segment, so I don't want to do too much now, but he's a great guy, he's over at a church called Lake Point Church. Um, you guys know Josh Howerton? We'd see his tweets sometimes yeah. um pop up. He's the worship pastor of that church, of Josh Howerton's church, and so uh great guy. He has experience over from Life Church as well, the Craig Rochelle Church. Um, he's a good dude. He ha- this conversation is a conversation I want every worship pastor to listen to because he talks about the distinction between what a worship pastor and a worship leader is, and kind of gets to the heart of like worship pastoring. Doesn't mean you pick four songs in the same key and you get what? on stage and sing it well. That there is like and in, in like how to build equity with your church. Like he, dude, I, I, I haven't had a face-to-face conversation with this guy in like over a decade and he is still just a solid and i love it and i'm glad that hey listen also
0: doesn't hurt to be wildly talented like he is
1: wildly talented listen to this interview it's wonderful and we'll be right back at the end Hey, I am here with Chris Cootie. Chris Cootie is a worship pastor at Lake Point Church down in Texas. Uh, previously to that, he was at Lake Church in, uh, sorry, Life Church in Oklahoma. And, uh, and Chris is also an artist alongside with his wife Mary, and he's also a writer working with folks like Cody Carnes and Big Daddy Weave. And he's also half of, uh, he was half of the group Chris and Conrad who is uh who wrote one of my like I'm not saying this Chris just because you're here this is legitimately one of my favorite worship songs Lead me to the cross like I hum this song like when I'm mowing just like to myself because that's how much like this song has been ingrained in my head and wow. just, I love it um, Chris is also – Chris also, th- you, you weren't ready for this. This isn't from your website. He led a worship at my youth group when I was in high school where I did the worm in front of him. And there's a picture on the internet somewhere of me doing the worm and you holding a guitar and looking at me like, who's this giant Cuban guy? you <laughs> on the floor like this. And uh, fun fact, you also attended Trinity College of Florida, which myself and um, Jeff Simpson uh, graduated from. So Chris – I'm glad you're here, man. Bro,
3: I, I'm glad you're here. And I, I like the fact that you did not say an alumni of Trinity College because I just, <laughs> I didn't finish. I, I can't, I can't claim that. I don't it get happens. the alumni emails. I'm not a part of the alumni face group, Facebook group, well, but I'm here and I'm thankful. It's good to see you again, bro. Well, it's good to see you too, man. I mean,
1: uh, right before you came on, you talked about, like I said, it's been a few years, so, like it's probably been over like a decade. Yeah, It's true. It's been, it's been a long time since the last time we've seen each other. I mean, uh, there was a time where you were at a church in temple terrace, which yeah. is like a suburb of Tampa. I was in Carrollwood, and like, it, it's just amazing how, you know, you blink and you're, you're 10, 15 years later we're in different parts of the country doing ministry in a different scale. And, uh, and praise God for technology. Cause we can like chat. You're in a hotel room. I'm in my man cave and we are able to talk about worship ministry and it's super fun. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, well Hey, let's, let's start off with a real easy softball question about, about ministry. A lot of these questions I asked in our Facebook group, questions you would want from a, from a, from a guy who knows everything about worship. And so the first question I want to ask is how do you add new songs to your rotation? Cause just like K love and Christian radio in general, some of the songs we're singing to church, were sung twenty years ago, right? Yeah. And like yeah. there you know, there's new music coming up. How how do you go about adding a new song where it doesn't shock your congregation, but mm-hmm. you're in you know infusing new music that's being created right now. How do you do that?
3: Yeah, yeah. I think based on my history in, in Christian radio and just kind of watching the charts and watching song rotations, I kind of I probably stole a little bit of it in my philosophy or my my practical implementation of songs. And that is really looking at our songs in the house of our church as a song bank and not really deviating from that song bank. Like Christian Radio, there's a a list of recurrents. These are the fresh songs that are the newest for those that are listening. And then there's a recurrent list of, hey, if we just played the first intro of this song, everybody in the house, the majority of the house would know this song. It's been around for a long time. And so I think for everybody listening, I think the biggest thing is first understanding the context of your church. Another way to say it is, what is the sound of your house? Uh, the church that, as Frank said, that I'm at now is an over 40-year-old church, been around for a long time. So it's been singing a lot of different worship songs for decades. And I'd be foolish to disregard the context and not pull from some of those choruses that have kind of built our faith. And so amongst the songs that are the fresh ones, the House of Miracles, the uh, God of Revival, the, the kind of newer, fresh songs, I'm always kind of peppering in some familiar to really just kind of acknowledge where we've been, meet people where they are, and take them to where we're going. And so for us at Lake Point, I would suggest a song bank no, no larger than about 15 to 20 songs. And you may say to yourself, man, that doesn't seem like a lot, but if the average Christian attendance in America is one weekend out of about five or six, how can I expect to infuse constantly brand new songs and people maybe only hear them once a month and expect them to actually lift them to God as prayers of faith? And so we're pretty... We, we scrutinize that list. We'll go through that list about quarterly to about once every two months. And the funny thing is we won't add or subtract a ton of songs. If we do add or subtract a song, um, we're really kind of not sitting in a place of, oh, man, I really love this song. A big question we're asking, obviously, is centered around theology, One thing I've got a burden for as a a worship pastor is I think we've gotten really good at singing songs about what God has done for us and our experience with him. We've really uh, laxed or have become lazy or have not come to the table with songs about God simply declaring his glory. And that if God never did another good thing for us, he would still be worthy of our praise, that kind of posture. And so I'm really kind of putting a burden on our team to say, hey, where are those songs Let's make sure that our diet of worship music is more about God than it is about experiential. Thank you, God, for all the blessing and look at how good you are. And now because you're good, I could do a bunch of good things. I, I think we've got we've sung enough of that. I think we need to get back to the days of praise. Um, and so I'm kind of looking at those songs that are not just songs that we like. Another good thing to, to kind of filter through, Frank, would be um, – is the global church singing these songs? I, I, don't, I don't think we ask that question because, hey, what's the most popular song? I do think it does help us because the first weekend we play it, I do believe that there's this, this wave of leadership from the room to the stage, and we're all singing this song because it feels a little familiar. So is it good theologically? Is it something that, that the global church is singing? And does it, does it sing well? And that's just a really technical way of saying, is the melody really confusing? Is it hard to kind of latch on to the first few times? I just do believe like a great pastor or communicator, there is an art or a science and a science to what it means to have a great song. Melodically, does it kind of sing well? Is it, is it um, predictable in the melodic range? And it's not this kind of like, like songs like so will i the fact that that thing kind of grew the way it did was it was beautiful theologically it told a great story but it was pretty complex melodically those kinds of songs are kind of outliers i think i think the songs that really sing and feel more corporate than they do artist, singer songwriter are songs that i'm looking to add to our song bank
1: one thing i didn't consider until i like um like when I became a campus pastor, I looked at our planning center songs, and there's probably like five hundred songs in there, sure, but then real really, there's probably like twenty five songs, maybe twenty songs really that we sing in any given month um and And I remember talking to my worship pastor like, "Well, why aren't we doing some of these songs that are deeper in our catalog on our planning center list?" And he was like, "What well, you just said, if the average person only attends." um, once a month or, or once every five weeks to constantly imagine them coming one month. And then the next time they come again, there's four new songs they have never heard before. Yep. It's a pretty jarring experience. Yep. And it's also not taken into consideration, like, um, the, 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 the songs that have been moving and working within the body over years, yep. why would we just stop doing that simply because it's been a three-year-old song or something? That's sure. It's a really good point
3: yeah i think yeah. i think there's a lot of i think there's a lot of guys wrestling with like what's the newest song out there and they're not really scrutinizing the songs of old and and making sure that we've got a healthy diet that's why i've kind of kept our our current song bank at about 15 to 20 because i know i can rotate other songs and even just the sheer commitment of that smaller song bank is forcing innovation for me to say okay how frequently are we singing these songs if i add a song to that bank I'm committing to play that thing for a long, long time. It's going to be a prayer in our church for a long time. Your church,
1: uh, Lake Point Church. Your your senior pastor, Josh Howerton. Um, we're you know us in the podcast. We're a big fan of his. Uh, in, in terms of following him on Twitter, he's a great follow on Twitter. Yes. And and one thing that is uh, is interesting is talking to the connection between lead pastors and worship pastors. And so I guess my question for you is, if you want to speak into the specifics of Lake Point, you can. But you can speak more broadly. Is mm-hmm. is how important it is for the lead pastor to support or be on board? the worship pastor or is there somewhat like autonomy there like you're in charge of the first half hour of the service the lead pastor takes care of the other half like how what does that look like within in your ideal perspective of the connection between the lead pastor and the worship pastor
3: yeah i think ideally it's somewhere right in the middle uh, i'll i'll reference something with pastor josh you know our our team is beginning to write songs from our church for our church and if they go bigger than that awesome if not awesome and I, I wanted his insight. And this, this may be something for you, worship pastors, that I think is really important because I've talked to a lot of young guys who may say something in the effect of, my senior pastor knows nothing about music. I don't want his opinion. I, why should I have to go to the table? And I don't think this is about musical opinion. I do think it is about honoring and coming under leadership and partnering and and showing that you can be humble and that you don't have it all figured out, even when somebody doesn't, in a senior pastor role, understand music as much as you do. And so I went to Pastor Josh, I was like, hey, so we're writing songs. At what point in the process do you want to be a part of a song? Meaning, do you want to hear the song before we release it? Do you want to hear the song in the demo phase before we decide to spend money on producing it? Do you want to read the lyrics? What if I've got a, a theological thought that I have? Do I need to run it by you? He goes, man, theologically, if you've got any questions, I trust you. If you've got a question and want to run it by by me, run it by me. But hey, you write the music, I'll write the sermons. And that was a way of saying like, hey, I trust you to do what you're here to do. But I trust you to do what you're here to do because you've modeled to me That you can come under my leadership in a way that I can trust you with equity to go cash in when I'm not at the table. I trust you to go spend money to produce a song. And so I think that's I think that's a maybe a case study in any worship leader out there who's kind of just discouraged because you're not thinking bigger but you're really, really frustrated at the relationship or the dissonance in your relationship with your senior pastor. And it may be because you're not thinking broader or bigger that you don't have the equity that you want out of your senior pastor. And so I think that that great worship leadership and, and senior pastor relationship is the marriage of, hey, I do have something to contribute the greater good of the church as a whole i'm not just the dude who steps on stage or the girl who steps on stage and sings a few songs and gets out of the way that's not all you have to contribute you're in some aspects you have more face time than a campus pastor you know a campus pastor may get four or five minutes on the stage you got 18 20. um and so I think that there's a lot of worship leaders, pastors who are frustrated in their relationship with their senior pastor because they've thought of themselves too small. And it's, it's when we begin to think of ourselves as a visible pastor on that, at that church that I believe then that, that the eyes of our senior leaders will see us as a greater contributor than just a dude who's stewarding 18 minutes with a few songs and some chords. And so I think that, I think there's a marriage there. I think there are a lot of nuanced uh, relationships with senior pastors who do know a lot about worship. Let's face it. A lot of great communicators in senior pastor world or pastors and communicators, a lot of them started as worship leaders and they do understand and they do have an opinion of what songs they want and what a moment should feel like and who should be on the team and who shouldn't be on the team. And, you're only going to grow that relationship, strengthen that relationship and receive more trust when you learn how to come under the authority and the leader really well. And you know when to ca- kind of cash your equity chips. Hey, that's a decision I think that we need to do this way and not your way. And you've, that's, a, that's a, I think to your point, Frank, it's a right in the between. It's a, hey, you go do your thing. I trust you. Hey, what do you think? And falling in between and and coming under leadership really well.
1: You you brought up something about um, you know worship leaders doing um, songwriting for their church, which I mean that might be a conversation we should have another day because that's I think um, kind of I, I, at least in my experience it's it's probably rare within like the national scope of, of worship leading in our country. It's as a small group of people writing the lion's share of songs for the church. And, and you just brought, I mean, I know my church, it's not, our church isn't necessarily writing songs that are going to be sung outside of our church, but we're like we're intentional of writing songs, uh, a few songs every year for our church. And it's one of the most meaningful things, but you brought up something that was really, that, that's really good. It does, I don't think it just applies to worship leading but like I, I see this attitude amongst youth pastors as well, and you see this amongst worship pastors too, where it's like you know you have these caricatures of the types of pastors in the church, and the worship pastor tends to be the artsy one with the tight jeans and the cool haircut and 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 they're kind of always scoffing at how old and out of touch the churches and the youth pastor is often characterized as like the overgrown child that's like you know wearing like you know i still act like a teenager and and so we we have these complaints that these ministries are done in silos but what you just said is like if you show yourself as a person that cares about the church as a whole and it's and it's flourishing as a whole and you understand that your part as a worship leader Ties into a bigger pie slice to the greater whole, and not just overemphasizing your part in the grand scheme of things. What you're doing is you're building equity, which is I think a principle that applies to a kids pastor, to a youth pastor, to all the pastors. Where don't overemphasize your ministry to think that you're like if everyone just realized that youth ministry is the most important ministry, then this church would flourish. Like like understand that you're a slice of a bigger whole. And if you can earn that equity, whether it's your lead pastor, your executive team or whatever, then you'll get the kind of autonomy and trust to do what you want to do. But you have to first show and prove, but also really believe that this is for the flourishing of the church at whole, not just for your department. And, uh, and I think that there's a level of maturity that comes from that because most Ministry leaders in their early twenties don't think that way, right? (laughs) They think like I just got to earn my share, earn my right, and for them, for these old doofuses to realize that I'm the right guy here. There's a level of maturity that comes from, hey, I'm going to bring my lead pastor in and say, hey, you know, we want my my worship guy, my church um, sent me two text messages over the weekend about two new songs that he wanted me to say, hey, before we even consider introducing this is this theologically whack? Like, what is this, what is this about? Like, like, can you speak into it? And like, yeah, I can't talk about chord progressions or melodic vibes or whatever, but like I can talk about the fact that that sounds like modalism, like Phillips Craig and Dean was great, but I don't know about this song. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's those type of conversations that that a pastor can speak into and it kind of brings everyone together. I think that was, that was a really, really good point you said.
3: Yeah. You know, Pastor Josh says it this way, and I think it's so, I think for anybody watching, I think there's, you know, to, to Frank's point, like the idea that, oh, we're, you know, we're kind of doing our thing over here, and why does the church have to be so organized? Or, or Pastor Josh says it this way, the church is not an organization, but it is no less than one. And I think when we have to, when we have to think about our role as a part of the whole I really believe it unlocks, like Frank said, that equity that I, that we're all longing for early in leadership. Why won't they just, how come I haven't been able to? And maybe the answer to a lot of those questions is found in our understanding that our budget isn't the only budget as a part of this team. Um, the the decisions we have to make about the hour that we're gathering together um aren't only just influenced by our team. They're influenced by a greater whole. And when I can come alongside of other teams like, hey, how, what part of my week is appropriated to helping kids figure out what worship feels like or saying no to this, this initiative that's really great, but I know that this part of the team is really struggling if they could just add one more piece of headcount and I could say no to this part of my budget, then we, the team, the church could actually move forward better. It's when we begin to think like that that we receive um the trust that I think we're all longing for.
1: That's good. You you mentioned budget. This is a a good question is um you know when when covid hit um the a, a lot of worship pastors were over their churches streaming and and you know ca- you know buying cameras getting the right lighting uh you know i know in some churches you know you have to buy two sound boards one for the stream one for the for the in-house stuff and 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 worship pastors had to become real big tech gurus when it comes to this type of stuff and um you know if you look at the church's budget after staffing probably the next biggest line item is worship and i think that um the average congregant and even some people in the church struggle with how big the line item is, which might lead to another question I'm going to ask in a second. Um, but like, uh, I guess my question is, is, is w- when you think of how expensive it is to, to for church in terms of equipment and, and so that, how can a worship pastor help a lead pastor or in some cases the executive pastor see the importance of budgeting well for worship ministry?
3: Yeah, I, I think the the. Big thing that we all as worship leaders need to to understand before going into those meetings where we're making a big ask, I said A-S-K, is what is most important in this conversation? If everything's important, nothing's important. And sure, we want the best console, and we want the best PA with the most amount of low-end possible, and we want the best in-your solution, and we want a separate console, and we want – amazing led video wall oh on top of it we need a ton of spot fixtures and we need the brightest ones and we need all this stuff in your context what is the most important thing and making sure that you're appropriating the right piece of the pie to that um you know obviously our context really determines that what room we're in Some of us are not building a a building from the ground up. And so we really have to say, what's the palette that we're painting on or the canvas that we're painting on? And then go back and and re-engineer that question of, hey, what's the most important in our context? I think when you can settle on that and get an agreement with the whole, for some of us, it's like, hey, our cameras don't need to be 4K. They don't need to be the most cinematic lenses because our room isn't that big. We don't have that big of a stage, but the sound needs to feel immersive in every part of the room. Okay, perfect. I know what I need to do then at the table there. Or we don't have a ton of you know, real estate on the stage for a bunch of LED, so we're just gonna do projection. Oh, and by the way, it's not rear projected, it's front projected. That'll make a determination on what kind of lighting we do as well. And so knowing and understanding in that context Hey, what piece of the pie is most important to focus on first and how big is that piece? Um, I think from there, you're going to then be able to make an educated decision on when you're sitting in those rooms, a senior leader, an executive guy, you know, the finance person is saying, hey, here's the proposed. We're going to have to redline about 10 percent of it. When you go in that meeting and unequivocally can say, oh, yeah, we can we can go. With a lesser substitute for that. Yeah, we can cut that down by 5%. That you're modeling, as I said in the previous conversation, like you're modeling that holistic leadership. We're kind of working at Lake Point, just for context, we're working at Lake Point on what's known as a prototypical model of campus building. We did this at Live Church. Live Church kind of birthed this. It was, hey, what is our necessary ministry footprint? And let's design a building that can scale as many times as we need. So we know how much it costs. We know how much land we need. We know how much parking we need. We know what our PA is gonna be. We know all the technical needs and we know what it is dollar for dollar every time with the exception of some land. We're doing that as well. And when we kind of sat and looked at the whole budget, I had to bring what we've been currently putting in our campuses for AVL. I had to bring that number down about 10%. I could have sat there and said, well, you, you're not going to get the kind of ministry quality. We want it at 10% less. I'm sorry. Or I could have gotten smart and said, you know what? I'm going to go sit with a bunch of churches that have the same ministry model and are doing it really well. I'm going to go learn from them and learn how they cut 10%. And I'm going to come back with an educated decision of what we can sacrifice on the altar to make sure that we're all achieving this. Because we all know stuff costs stuff, right? You build a building and then you got to add this to it and you got to add this to it. And so I was able to sit down in those meetings and say, hey, based on our context, what's most important, we can go with a substitute in your option. That's way less and it works because our band hearing is really important. But we can do that and sacrifice some things and fight for the things in our auditorium that's most important. We can simplify lighting, you know, those sorts of things. And so I think you just have to know in your context what's most important and then be able to model a sacrificial attitude by saying, hey, on the budget, we can cut these things if we can fight for these things. Hey, our room's got to sound amazing. And so we need to acoustically treat it. We can't skimp on that. But we can maybe pull back on PA when we go to get a good acoustically sounding room. And so I think I think it's it's modeling to sum up, I think it's modeling sacrifice. It's modeling an awareness that your budget, your line item is not the only line item on this budget. We gotta figure out how to update kids' rooms and we gotta add parking and we gotta pay for this portion of the ministry and we're giving this much to missions. It's like you're not the only piece of the pie in this conversation and so act like it lead like it make decisions like it and then be able to advocate for the things that are really important with a broader understanding if you're the only one that thinks audio and the quality of audio in the room or broadcast is the most important thing you're probably missing you need what is your pastor value what what other ministries is he saying hey see how they did this? this is really important that'll give you a very pastor josh we added an led wall And he was, he kept referencing people that he saw that were using the LED wall as a visual aid in his messages. I guarantee you that informed what we did with cameras and what we're going to do with cameras when we upgrade them. We have to take his insight, what makes him feel good as he's pastoring and leading and really supplement and add technology. And so we're going to add the right budget line items to support that. You can't be the only one advocating for the things technically in your church.
1: in I would you could probably speak more into this than I can, but like in the Christian world, it seems like from the consumer level or from the congregate level, however you want to use those words, um, we are uh, we are blessed in a in an era of music where you have a ton of people creating very high quality christian music right or, or and i say christian music both in a worship sense and a entertainment sense like yeah both of you and i know the rapper kb because yeah he graduated oh yeah from trinity yeah like we, we we're blessed with the fact that we have christian rap we're not ashamed of right, right. we're not embarrassed of finally um, but at the same time finally yeah but we also have like christian music and christian worship that is great. Now, with that said, comes with it this like unique thing where it seems like sometimes folks think higher quality purely means entertainment and not necessarily that it could be used as corporate worship. And I, I think there's some educating and some conversations of looking at church history where oftentimes quality was a sign of us in our worship making quality things for God. But I, I guess if you could help, whether it's the pastors listening to this podcast. Or how we can explain to our congregants, um, what is the difference between worship and entertainment in the way we choose the music that we use to lead in our churches? And what are the kinds of distinguishing markers that maybe you use to say, okay, this song is on the radio and this song is actually a worship song that we can put on our Sunday rotation. This song maybe is a special song or a song that we can put as a background of a video this song let it just be on people's spotify playlists right how do you how do you distinguish between those
3: yeah i think i think the biggest word i'm looking for or ingredient i'm looking for to answer that question is does it feel corporate or individual and i think if i can answer that does it does it incite this wonder in the body does the body exhale this big sigh of relief when we're encountered with this truth about God in this thing, then it does feel like it's, it's bringing the the body together and, and then reflecting or pushing praise back to God. If that's the natural, like, I just want to like one, one thing This sounds so dumb, but like, as we're demoing songs, and we're working on songs that we're writing, musically and lyrically and the power of, of of a melody being sung there's just moments where i just want to go heavenward like i can't help but praise i think i think not not breezing by those moments in a piece that you're kind of considering like does it just incite worship and reverence and whole, and like god i just want to praise you then that's probably a that's probably a tool to use within the context of a worship moment, service, whatever you're calling it. Um, I do think those those moments that are purely inspirational, I I would maybe replace the word entertainment and just really inspirational, but it's not like this upward worship and praise. I'm just, I, I feel good about it. Like it's like, it incites something in me. It may not be like worship right to God, but I feel energized or motivated or whatever it may be. I think there's moments for those things within the context of a service. I do think that we have to think of the hour. And if you're you're at 70 minutes like we are at Lake Point, awesome. Whatever you call your context of your service. But I do think we have to think about the hour as one whole piece. And when we do, I think it's a lot easier to begin to make these kinds of decisions. Because we all know within the hour of corporate worship together, There's got to be moments of thanksgiving. There's got to be moments of modeling generosity. There's got to be moments of sitting under the word and hearing the Bible read and the Bible taught and exposited and pulled out. And there's got to be moments where young and old can sing songs of faith about who God is. And we can look back and we can look ahead of inspiration for the week to come. And thank God that he was with us from, from the week before there's got to be those moments. And so I think, I think it's when we kind of think about the hour segmented. Oh, I like this piece. It's probably a work right there. But in the grand scheme of the whole hour, it may actually be a turn in the wrong direction. It may feel like a deviation from the theme that's coming um, alive within that hour. It's probably not the right decision, but it makes me feel good. But is it the right decision for the hour? I believe when we can we can give our people just those simple nuggets within the hour, the context of our gathering that, that inspire them for the week to come. I think we've created a great uh, we've created one great moment instead of five different moments. Like, that's why we, we really slave over communication on the stage. Like what are you asking people to do? If it's not clear, if it, if it's not inspiring and compelling, you're just kind of up there for your own, you know, 90 second variety hour like it's not you're not adding to the oh no we're pushing people in the in the message to live in community because that's the way god designed it and all of our communication is pushing toward that our worship language is more we centered than me centered and Mm. i'm thinking of the whole hour I, i hope that answers your question frank i think i think we can see there's a lot out there as you said and if everything, I'll say this phrase again, if everything's important, nothing's important. And we, I think there's a lot of things out there grabbing our attention. There's a lot of great art being created. And until we can answer who are we, where are we headed, and what is the whole hour need to feel and be, we can't make educated decisions with all the things out there. We're just going to grab things and hope they work. And it's when we answer those three questions that we can begin to have a good filter applied to what do we say yes to? And what do we say no to?
1: Earlier we talked about, you know, when you add new songs, you're thinking about um, uh, theocentric worship versus egocentric worship songs from our perspective versus songs that are upward focused. And, and uh, and, and you're saying that like a lot of the church today is very egocentric, and we need to inject more theocentric worship. I think as you examine your church and examine what your people need for that hour and for that time, th- this the question will be answered, like, yes, if, uh you know uh, focusing more on um the 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 congregation and not how impressive the worship team is yeah is is going to feed into because there could be a sense that you would be doing a corporate song but in an entertainment kind of way right and so, so so a lot of this stuff can be nuanced and there might be songs that are on the radio right now that are that were meant by a ccm artist to just sell records but like you uh Tweak that chorus a bit, and maybe create your own bridge. And now you have a corporate worship song that's going to impact your congregation. This, Joel, is, this is a very nuanced. It is we, you've go
3: you've got to read your context. Like for us, Mary, my wife, is really like she's really passionate about the the idea of the church as a body. And when I go get my yearly physical, my doctor will recommend blood labs to understand what things within my vitamins, my my diet are lacking that are failing to support the whole of my body. And I I think that's a very interesting picture of what we need to do as worship pastors to understand, hey, what part of our diet are we lacking? Are we deficient in that is therefore hindering the body? So when we got to Lake Point, we were really good at art and, and spectation, if that's the right use of the word. People were great at just watching. They weren't great in participating and leaning in. And so I will not do a song that they will ever just have to watch. I may do one or two a year. I may do like an opener for Easter and Christmas and maybe a special Father's Day thing or Mother's Day thing that moves people and just says thank you to mom. But the majority of my year will be spent in come with me versus watch me. And because I know our church was deficient in that, that mineral, that vitamin, I've just added a bunch of doses to the body and I've, I've eliminated things that are maybe hindering that part of our expression from coming to life.
1: Chris, you, you're answering a question that I didn't ask you that someone asked me to ask you is the distinction between a worship leader and a worship pastor. And and I, from what I'm hearing from you, the distinction is a worship leader is someone that's just on stage with a guitar singing the songs, but a worship pastor is one that knows the people. That's pastoring the people that can that can clearly diagnose what is what is the spiritual temperature of the room and the people in our congregation. And by understanding that, then creating the worship experience in such a way that not only ministers to the people, but leads the people into a certain direction. And and I appreciate that because I think if there's constant stereotypes in the congregation of what the different types of pastors are, again, the the stereotype of a worship pastor is you don't see him. He's in the green room the entire time. He comes on stage with the guitar. He leads four songs or she leads four songs and then goes back to the green room. But you're saying a worship pastor is a person that, knows the needs of the people is involved in the greater aspect of the church and is forming their worship, the worship to be something that ministers to them and not something just in isolation, because all the songs are in the key of G, right? Like I, I, I love, I appreciate that you are, you're talking about worship pastors being intentional and pastoral in as much as all the other pastors in the church.
3: That's yeah. Good. I, this is a, this is a real big passion of mine, much like eliminating the, the caricature of, as you, as you say of, of the worship pastor who's late to every meeting who just wants to sit in his green room and, and write music and pontificate about chord progressions and can't show up to a meeting and can't interject anything valuable like i want to i want to for lack of a better term i want to kill that perspective of a worship pastor i like i don't want that guy leading the church because listen uh worship through song is god ordained god mandated it's going to be around for all of eternity And if we don't do it right now, I I think we'll miss thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like I really think it's a a big part of of that. And so that's why how we, as those that are stewarding that part of our church, how we lead is really important. Um, Because I don't believe God will give us more glimpses of heaven if we don't lead it appropriately. The other thing is, is I... I think that there are a lot of, and I'm speaking to the senior leader, the senior pastor of a church. I think there are a lot of you who are wishing that your guy who or girl who does music in your church would just lead more, and maybe you've been calling them by the wrong name. And maybe you've just been seeing them, to Frank's point, as a worship leader, and I believe that's all they'll ever be our second son, Judah, he is so different from our first kid. It's crazy how multiple kids from the same gene pool could be so different. And I began out of frustration because I just didn't understand my son. I began saying things about him or to him that I believe he was just replicating what he heard me say. And it wasn't until I started speaking and highlighting the moments where, Judah, you are so competent, You're so creative. You're so bold. You're so, you're not afraid. You're brave. And I started speaking those things out and him hearing those that he began acting in a way that I was trying to discipline him into, but he just wasn't getting it. He wasn't seeing it. It was because I wasn't calling him by name. And I think we've gotten so caught up in the bureaucracy of what makes a pastor and are they ordained and all that stuff. And we haven't called our leaders up to be pastors first and musicians second. And that's like, or pastors who happen to lead and pastor through music. And, and we're so afraid of like designation that we've just, Hey, that's the worship leader. He's just going to do what he does. And maybe he's acting the way that you're expecting him to. And the, the wow. difference, the key to unlock the greater potential and a co-laborer in the gospel and in pastoring is to just change somebody's title. And so I just want to mm-hmm. give you, the, I give you the, the, the audacity to think that way and the ownership mm-hmm. to think that way, that maybe the things that are lacking in our leaders are because we're failing to call them by name and call them up to a greater leadership. And we're just kind of letting them settle with where they are, and so i'm really I'm, I've thought about this a lot I'm really passionate about this I want to see I want to see the church filled with pastors first and musicians second man
1: uh last question, very practical. I don't know if other churches are dealing with this. I don't know if your church is, is, is wrestling with this conversation, but we wrestle with this a ton so uh, in a broad sense. When you know someone is an unbeliever and they want to serve in the church, we we want to be a place where unbelievers feel welcome. But there are certain positions in the church where like it, it feels like it's not wise to put someone who isn't a believer in those different like leadership positions. So I think one of the more like complicated conversations is the stage for for a worship team. And, and so so the, the the first question is, do you allow unbelievers to be on the worship team, to be on the stage, whether it's just an instrument or would they be allowed to sing? And and, and if you want to speak into maybe other areas that may be under your purview, like sound and tech or something, you can speak into that. But like when you – at your church or in a broader sense, how, how you think is ideal, What where do you – do unbelievers, do people who do not profess Christ or have evidence in their life that they're not a believer – could they serve on the worship team somewhere, and and if so, where and what does that look like?
3: Oh, man, I've this has been something of I I think I've I've gone through different evolutions of this thought process for different reasons. I can remember being in a place where, gosh, if we just had a drummer who could just lock in on time, we could really kind of go the distance. And you you find yourself making some some concessions. Because you know what you lack. And if we just had it, we could we could get there. Or a sound guy, I, I love that reference too. Um I think from some technical aspects, I think I think we can function technically and still operate and make great strides forward from a sound seat or a video seat. If there's a guy that's may or girl who's maybe just not there in their beliefs. I do think it's interesting when we do allow people in those seats when there's just blatant, bro, I'm not even interested, I'm not even a per like I don't even care. I'm not like versus, man, yeah, I'm just wrestling with where I am in my faith, like i I'll probably take a person that's on the latter end of that spectrum than a person who's just like, bro, yeah, I'll come work for you if I want nothing to do with this faith thing." versus like somebody who's outwardly wrestling and just needs a pastor and needs to be discipled. Um, Here's where I am today, Frank. Uh, If you're not a believer, I don't want you on the stage. The stage is not a place to convert. I do believe it is a place to disciple. So is every seat, you know, to think that I'm going to have a team full of you know, I do my quiet time 45 minutes a day and I get up an hour in my prayer closet and I pray and I'm just like giving money to the poor and I'm like living out the, the fruit of the spirit. And it's just abounding um, to think that that that's it's why we are where we are today. And people are so ticked off at the church is they they've just expected too much of humans this side of heaven. Right. To think that the stage isn't going to be a place where where people are working out their faith and and that they're that they're working still with sin issues that's gonna happen but that we have a a people who are aligned from the stage in a direction that is postured not just in an 18-minute worship set but but in their life toward heaven and living for the glory of god and finding joy in it i i I believe truly, and this is, a, this is a thing in sports, it's a thing in team dynamics all the, always, you are only as strong as your weakest link. And if, if I want the expression of worship to be passionate in our church and from our stage and modeled from a posture of not just going through the motions, but I've got one guy who's just defiant or doesn't care, I will rise to his level. And I would rather a church say, we've got a killer piano player, an acoustic player, and a vocalist, and that's all we have, and have a heart postured toward heaven, and they do it in an excellent way, than a, than a team say, we've got to have a band, and we've got to find somebody now. That's when worship pastors and leaders make really poor decisions, and they allow sin into their camp, like knowingly, and they're okay with it. And they, they treat the stage as a place to convert. And I, we would never do that in a life group, ever. We would never let someone into a life group and say, hey, bro, who's never confessed Jesus, who has never repented, never turned, come lead this group in a direction toward heaven, ever. Yet we say, bro, you can play, you can play the piano really awesome. You're a great bass player. Come on. And the sound of worship in our house is directed in a way from someone who doesn't have the perspective of the Holy Spirit. Why? And I just think, I think what, here's the, here's the test for me. If you've got somebody on your team like that, and again, not somebody who's in a posture of like, dude, I've. I just don't know where I am. I'm wrestling. I, I want to love God, but I've got all these questions. I'm not talking about that person. Put that aside. It's just somebody who just gigs at the bars and is obviously not a Christian. You've asked, and they're not even there and they don't care. Um, I believe the church for so long has let comparison and measuring up and keeping up with the success of other churches been their litmus test for making decisions within their churches. And if you are looking at Elevation's live stream on Sunday and saying, oh my God, if we just had a bass player like that, we could really go somewhere, guys. If that's the filter by which you're making decisions, you need to punt. Like it's like put it down, play bass tracks. You can go multi-tracks. is an amazing tool. I'm not sponsored. I'm not getting a fee. Just yeah. go right now, subscribe. Like figure it out that way because what we've let happen is the idolatry of someone else's success to come into our thought process and decide what's permissible in our context, just because we're trying to measure up. And what we're trying to measure up to is a holy standard, not an earthly one. And so wow. if that's your, if that's your, your barometer for decision-making and your thought process, you gotta, you gotta throw it out. And that I say that from a place of understanding in my leadership where I've let that be the thing that drives me to make a decision versus what does heaven need to sound like? What will it sound like? What does it sound like? It is a, it is a unity, uh, 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 a co-laboring of believers together who are not perfect. Don't hear me say that. You know, I think that that's a whole different conversation for another day of like where people are in their, like, are you void of sin struggle? Come on, lead worship. That's never going to happen. You'll never have a team. But I think to the question of should we let unbelievers who are obviously not on a path to faith or a journey of faith and confessing Jesus as Lord be on our teams stewarding a house of worship, to me, on stage is not the place to convert. It is the place to disciple. Chris. Thank you
1: so much for, for giving Bro. me your time. This is this has been so good. Everybody's worship passion needs to hear this conversation. Um, uh, how can people find you? What social networks do you want to plug? Anything else you want to share? How can people connect with you, find you, listen to your music? Where, where, where can they go? What can they do?
3: Yeah, just Chris Cootie on Instagram. It The pronunciation is as bad as you thought it was. K U T I. Uh, I'm on there on, on Instagram. My wife's on there as well. Mary dot cootie. Um, she, for some reason took my last name at the altar. Look at that. Uh, we're, we're coming out with some music together and then we're also just really, we're really passionate in our, in our worship leadership about obviously leading people in worship, creating music that inspires us toward, uh, heaven, but we're also really passionate about helping marriages, not just, uh, survive but thrive and so we're working on some really cool tools that are coming really soon along with some music there'll be a podcast out um for both of us and then i'm really i'm really passionate about all these topics that we've we've discussed today so on instagram just stay posted and you may hear of some new things coming your way um opening up some coaching and some podcasting as well and so excited about those ventures kind of kicking up and we're excited about where we are here too at lake Point. It's LP connect is where you can follow our church. As, as Frank said, my pastor is Josh Howerton. He's a great following on Twitter. You should go follow him over there. All the things, bro.
1: Thanks, Chris. It was good talking to you. Uh, We'll talk to you next time, man. See ya.
3: Thank you, bro. Hey, so
1: if you want to get connected with Chris Cootie, follow him. He has a website. He has new music coming out with his wife. Go do that. I'm sure if you want to hit him up on, on Instagram, I think he has Twitter, follow him there. And also, like I said in the, in the interview, uh, Josh Howerton is also a great follow on Twitter. You 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 want to do that? Hey, so um uh guys, uh, it's been a pleasure to be with you guys. Hopefully Tim and, and and Delmar can be with us next time. Um, I'm just I'm just again just counting down the days for it to be February again, so we can all be in person and all just hang out at the Partly Pastoring Conference. So I'm signed up PracticallyPastoringConference dot com. I hope you are too. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson.
2: I am Andrew Larson.
1: And this is Practically Pastoring. We'll see you next time. Bye.
2: Thanks
0: for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group,
1: where we get to share ideas and make each other better.